You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series, movie, or audio and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Kenneth. And tonight we're looking at the Star Hunter Redux episode... Oh, Season 2, Episode 15, Kate. Episode synopsis. Percy is having a conniption fit. She wanted to use some hot water during the routine hot water maintenance period and somehow blames Caravaggio for not anticipating her desire and postponing the maintenance period because she was doing some dirty maintenance elsewhere. At least, that. Uh, think that's what happened. Anyway, Marcus, always the enlightened gentleman, explains to Caravaggio that his problem is that he's male, and women expect men to read their minds. Percy, alternatively, explains that Caravaggio should be more empathetic, something he apparently cannot do because he doesn't have breasts, or at the very least because he wasn't designed by someone with breasts. About this time, a space mine locks onto and blows a hole in the Transutopian, damaging various bits of the ship. Engines, attitude adjustment weapons, and perhaps most critically, Caravaggio, who is operating well below normal utility. Percy seizes this opportunity. Rather than fix Caravaggio, a critical piece of equipment, in an emergency situation, Instead, to replace him with a new AI of her own design, Catherine. Travis immediately decides to diminish her status by calling her Kate instead. And she's a bit of a hottie. So much so, it looks like Marcus isn't going to be able to keep his mind off her and on the job. Callie even points out that's a flaw with Kate. Because, you know, it's always the woman's fault if men do something bad because the woman is sexy. Travis, our hero, knows that sexist argument is BS and dismisses it as a case of Callie being jealous of the hottie. Meow! Is everyone on this ship trying to up their game to be as big a sexist pig as Rudolfo this week? Apparently so! Still heavily damaged and days away from the nearest station, they collect bits of the mine and discover the bad news. It's a classic Martian design, and it no doubt sent data back to the mine's owner. They can expect possibly hostile visitors soon. And then life support goes out, and Kate can't figure out why. The crew can't figure it out either. Everything seems to be in working order, just isn't working. Callie is the first to get suspicious that Kate might be behind this, but... Shockingly, Percy isn't too far behind on that realization. She figures it out when Kate is more interested in how long Travis and Callie have been a couple than she is in repairing the life-threatening system's failures. Kate pops up on the bridge to tell Travis that Callie isn't right for him. Travis is more interested in saving their lives than talking about Callie. He finds her priorities to be a bit wonky. But Kate assures him, I'd do anything I can to save you... Travis goes to visit Percy to ask about this new AI, and it's at this point she reveals that she tried to restore Caravaggio, but couldn't because he'd been sabotaged. Percy being Percy, Travis doesn't even bother asking. You didn't think we needed to know about that sooner? Travis returns to the bridge as armed pirate ships are approaching. 
Kate is unfortunately unable to provide much information about the attackers because not only did Percy choose the worst possible time to be doing a major computer system upgrade, she also didn't have the new system finished yet. Kate is unable to interface with technology that is not part of the Transutopian. As they go into battle, Kate takes control of the ship in direct defiance of Travis's orders and destroys one of the attacking pirates. This blows the ship's weapons out, and the other pirate begins the process of boarding the Transutopian. Percy gets mad at Kate, and Kate shoots her, because apparently that's a thing AIs can do now? Kate confesses her love for Travis and convinces him to give them a moment alone. When the others leave the bridge, she locks him in and begins pumping the air out of the rest of the ship. The others must get breathers, fight off the pirates, and get Percy to the sickbay. Travis explains to Kate that if you love something, you have to let it go. And so she does, but doesn't turn on the air for him. He fights more pirates, then finds a breather, then takes the pirate ship, stealing their ship's little black oxygen box. Confronting Kate on the bridge, Travis tries to insert the little black oxygen box into the Transutopian's little black oxygen box slot. But Kate is really upset at Travis's rejection of her, and she shoots him a bunch. Callie comes in, which distracts Kate, giving Travis time to insert the little black oxygen box into the little black oxygen box slot. Kate can't turn it off either because it's technology from another ship making this Chekhov's technological little black oxygen box inserted into Chekhov's technological little black oxygen box slot. Having done that, Travis calmly walks over to Kate's off switch and deactivates her. If only anyone had thought of that earlier. Caravaggio is back, and he thinks he's had a dream of love. No, Caravaggio, you had a misogynistic nightmare. The end. I have rarely been as offended by a TV show as I have, as I was by this in, oh. in years. I mean, this, this is a throwback to freaking 40s attitudes towards women. This is, this is terrible. <laughs> like, this, is, this is just uh, offensive on every level. I, I couldn't believe what I was watching. <laughs> and, and, you know, my wife's stunned face was, was enough but it was just like, wow, you've thrown up pretty much every sexist trope stereotype we can think of in this episode. And, and wow. And wow. I wrote meh. Yeah. Uh, well, you know something? Oddly enough, if it weren't for all of the sexist nonsense, this story was, yeah, okay. But I mean, wow. Let, 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 me, let me enumerate a couple of things. Yes. Percy is irrational. And because she buys into the notion, and, you know, she's being irrational. That's, that's Percy anyway. But because she buys into the notion that an AI designed by men can't be empathetic and anticipate her needs, then she is also part of the problem because she is perpetuating that sexist stereotype. And, and so therefore she's the part of the problem. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step back from that for just a second. I'm going to say actually the writer is the problem. Sex, uh, sexy. Uh, Percy is is always irrational, but in this case, she's irrational in a way that highlights the the sexism. And Marcus, he likes what he sees. I mean, yeah, he's a teenage boy, but seriously, uh, you had a coworker come in, and you're like, whoa! 
that would be awful. <laughs> right? Yes. But but she's a computer. But is that really any different? I mean, is that any worse than is it any different than Marcus changing all the skins on the desktop computers to have sexy women on them? It's still objectifying and and not <laughs> you know, it it's it's awful. And Okay, he's a teenage boy. That is no excuse. I will not excuse that in teenage boys, but it is a fact that that is a cultural expectation of teenage boys. It's wrong, but it is the expectation. So Marcus is possibly the only person that you could sort of kind of argue, and maybe and maybe um, uh, Rudolfo, because he's just always a sexist pig. And even he seems less sexist pig than, than Marcus. This yes. Week. Okay, so then we have Callie. Now... Callie's right to distrust this computer. But here's the thing. The way this is written, she really is jealous. She 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 does she takes an instant dislike to her because she's a hottie. And that's a sexist trope written by a male writer. And and then when she goes to Travis to give her reasoning for why this is bad, she takes the incredibly abhorrent position that says that the way a woman looks and dresses causes men to do bad things, yeah. and therefore it's bad that the woman is like that, which is, you know, the argument that Muslim fundamentalists use as their argument to keep women covered up. Oh, you know, you can't let men see them or they'll rape them, and then that's the woman's fault. Or or even in our own society, well, I mean, she, did you see the way she was dressed? She was begging for it. That's Callie's argument. The woman. That's the woman making that argument, which is awful. And Travis turns around and dismisses that. And instead of saying, Callie, I'm like that. And he said, oh, you're just jealous because she's a hottie. Putting Travis down in the toilet of sexism in this episode, too. And it, 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 and then he goes on to say, besides, she's not real. What does that mean? I mean, <laughs> like, well, she's not a human, but she's a real thing and she's there. And and is he saying she doesn't have a real personality? Because isn't that the whole argument in the first place of Percy's argument about Caravaggio? That his personality was made by men and therefore doesn't do the job that it's designed to do? It's just... It, and and I you know I point out in the recap the first thing Travis does is a woman comes in and says this is Catherine he goes I'm gonna call you Kate Toots he didn't quite say Toots but jeez <laughs> it's you know it's an immediate diminutive uh, aspect of it and it's just like I just I I I like wow this is like a training manual you should see at a at a at an employer on how not to behave in the workplace. And if all that weren't bad enough, if all that weren't bad enough, Kate meets all of the problems head on as if women are the problem. She she immediately falls in love with Travis. She immediately feels threatened and is jealous of Callie. She immediately tries to kill everyone except Travis. Then she tries to kill Travis when he spurns her. She is a stereotype piled in a stereotype wrapped in a stereotype. It's like, this is... <sighs> like, yeah, no, it, it really is... You know, if this were written in the 1940s and it was like supposed to be some screwball comedy, uh, 
Maybe, but this was written in the 1990s, and it's cringeworthy to me. It is. And, and not yeah. in the usual Star Hunter ways. Just like, wow, uh, I, I don't know what... I don't know what to say. And I'm, I'm going to throw one more on there. It's sort of tangent, but it's, it's also still in the same league. Yeah. Having a character say, I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway, is neither character development, nor is it a justification for the actions. And, and because the story is the way the story is, this really feels like, Besides, you know, girls do illogical stuff anyway. So, I mean, it, it also feels like the writer is just absolutely oh, on, on board. Yeah. All right. The writer mm-hmm. is Farouk Dondi. Yep. Uh, and I looked him up, and you said it out, out of the 1940s? Uh-huh. Born in Bombay, India, 1944. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, I looked him up. I looked him up because I wanted to. I I did. I don't know how much you found out beyond say the typical Wikipedia stuff. Um, Indian-born playwright, screenwriter, British. Uh, should say Indian-born British writer, playwriter, screenwriter, right. left-wing activist. Yeah, I saw that and I just about fell out of my chair. What? Indian Workers Association, British Black Panthers, Race Today magazine. He is absolutely a left-wing activist for the rights of people of color and has been his entire time. He writes, he writes children books about racism. He, he writes, uh, you know, he, he's got a ton of novels. He, he's got, I don't know, a ton is the right word, but several. Uh, I mean, this guy has definitely been working on that angle. But I found one, I'm going to call it poorly researched, it is from a Google search result, and it is from a document hosted uh, as part of Google Books or whatever they call it, where a completely different person was saying that they left the British Black Panthers because of the inherent sexism in the organization, their mm. their disdain for women. And there is a quote in there saying that, that Farouk is quoted as saying, feminism is absolute rubbish. Now, that's, that's the episode. <clears throat> That's the only thing that I could find in in the limited hour or so I had to look uh, about him and sexism that I could, and, you know, considering the source, I can't go out and send it. But considering this episode, I can believe every word of it because this is, wow. I, I, I'm Frankly, I'm surprised he's from India instead of Pakistan. Well, come to think of it, in 1940, maybe that... You know something? It was all India in 1944. Farouk is not... Farouk is, is a Muslim name, isn't it? I don't yes, know. it is. I, I, I kind of think it is. Um, <clears throat> so that may ha- may play into it some, because, you know, as I say, Muslim fundamentalists have some very anti-feminist ideas. <sighs> I, has he written any other episodes of this show? It's the only one. It's the only one. I noticed it wasn't listed as far as I could see in Wikipedia, so maybe he's embarrassed well, by I also I'd noticed, like to think. I've also <laughs> noticed that IMDB does not list him as being the writer, but I get my credit I get my credit information from the episode. I did see the name on the episode because I thought I haven't seen that name before um, at the beginning, which is it which is rare for me to notice it at the beginning, but I I 
you know, that's where I saw it. Now, whether or not that's credits wrong, I don't know. Who does who does IMDb list as the writer? It lists the head writer, Mr. Peter I. Horton. <sighs> that sounds like a clerical error, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. They just don't have the data in IMDb. Yes, it's and it's not hard. The data is not hard to find. Just read the read the credits on the episode. Right, right. Which we have to assume are correct. And I know that sounds like a well, maybe a cyclical I argument. I mean, they can make a, they can about, make mistakes on it, but you know there are yes. contract laws with regards to putting somebody's name on a on a, a script. Right. But uh, I've watched. Uh, I've been and uh, both. Both of us have probably watched just about every making of feature on the Doctor Who DVDs, right? Oh, yeah. So we're both familiar with these stories of uh, somebody's name was on it, but the script editor really wrote it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is, there is uh, but there are rules. And, of course, this is a sort of Canadian production. I think it probably operates under Canadian rules. Um, so I don't know exactly what those are, but I mean that, you know, if you turn in a script, you're going to get, if your idea is bought and they don't use your script, you're still going to get story by. And if your script, you get first shot at rewrite. So you submit a script, the story editor says, yeah, no, you get first shot at rewrite. After that point, then if somebody else is brought in to write it, you get joint credit. So, you know, they wouldn't remove his name. They, they couldn't completely remove his name if this is his original script. And they couldn't remove somebody else's name completely. Now, you can remove your own name, but typically you have to substitute a pseudonym. Yeah. You can't, you can't say, I'll tell you what, um, I don't like this story. Let's say Terrence Dix wrote it. <laughs> right? You, you, have to, you have to come up with something that... that some, bland, a, some bland name. Robin Bland, yeah, a bland name or, or yeah. Cordwainer Bird, or you know, I love, whatever. I love Cordwainer Bird. <laughs> uh, director, yeah. Alan Smithy. Alan Smithy is the director's one. Yeah, and that's actually, uh, you know, you couldn't use that for a writer, is my understanding. Alan Smithy is registered with the Directors Guild Director, for your okay. dumping, dumping your name off if you hate it. But I, I, if I were him, I would distance myself from this script unless, you know, I'd say, okay, let's put John Smith on here. Because uh, after your rewrites, which you didn't take any credit for, uh, I this is this is bad. So I, 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 I'm going to put this on the writer. Um, I mean, the whole the, you you couldn't you couldn't tell this story you couldn't tell this story from a non sexist standpoint because everything about it it's just, it, it, it's heavy handed. Yeah, it's from from the setup to the to the execution to the problem. All of it. Uh, it just, I, I can't envision that you could have come at this from some other angle and then ended up, you know, can I, could I imagine this guy writing this story and saying, um, because knowing what we know, I'm, I'm using this writer because of what he does for people of color. So let's, let's go straight with Indian or Pakistani. Uh, can you imagine if Percy were a Pakistani character and said, oh, Caravaggio, you couldn't have known to to get my bath water ready for me because you're white. And then the rest of this story devolved around her making a, a, 
Pakistani AI, and then the Pakistani AI runs all the people on board the ship, run around portraying stereotypes about how Pakistani people are. Couldn't imagine anybody doing that without taking a ton of flack for it. And yet that's what they've done with women here in this story. Um, it, it really, <laughs> it's like just really, wow. Well, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, um, I, I think it's a crap episode too. Yeah. So the other thing I want to say is, you know, ignoring, trying to ignore the, the sexism angle of it, which is not possible, but seriously, Percy, you do not, you do not replace your main computer systems in a crisis. No, you don't. And, and here's the funny part about this. Funny, funny, uh, not funny, haha. Percy does this. And, and as I alluded to in that earlier line, it's like, I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to anyway. If Percy had been in a... We, are, we have established at the beginning of this episode that Percy thinks a female AI would be uh, a, a, a better thing. Okay, I'll, I'll go with that. There, there are issues with it, but I'll go with that. So let's say Percy has, in fact, been working on one, which clearly she has. Okay, so she's got a little, she's got a female AI chip sitting over there waiting to someday to test it out once she's done programming it, because she isn't even finished with it when she puts it in play here and this stuff. And let's say Caravaggio is severely damaged, which he appears to be. Instead of going, well, I, you know, we don't get any indication that she can't fix Caravaggio. We just get the indication that she's just going to use this opportunity to slip the other AI in. If this had been a situation where there was no way she could get Caravaggio back online without specialized equipment, more time, etc., etc., and then she said, well, as a backup, I can put my not-quite-finished program Catherine into production, you know, the beta test server, we can run that in production to at least get us to the station, that would have been okay. That would have worked. That, that would have even been a, a, an almost a, a logical thing for Percy to do. Because the ship's AI is, is absolutely essential to everything they do on that ship. And so you can't do without one. But that's not why, that's not why she got in place. She got in place because Percy's an irrational girl in it. And that, that's... <laughs> I, for once, she could have done something incredibly stupid and I could have been on board with it. Because... I'd have gone, well, you know, it's a choice between dying and going with the untested server. I'll go with the untested server, but <laughs> at least get us to Shepherd Station. So, yeah, that, that was the, the other thing about that. That just it bugged me as a computer person, right? You just don't do that. You just, you just don't. <laughs> you can... I do have a fun thing, though. Oh, what's that? <laughs> I know. Sounds, sounds highly yeah. unlikely, isn't it? But I, I worked my way at it. It, it. it is a nitpick. It is a nitpick, but I feel it's a fun nitpick. We're all going to freeze with the life support systems out. Nah, we're not going to freeze. We're all going to run out of air in 12 to 14 hours. I remember that one. Yeah. I'm just going to run through some numbers here. And, and I'm not going to say that this takes into account diffusion of oxygen. And I'm not going to say this takes into account... Uh, 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 an increase um, of carbon dioxide levels, okay? But I think that just just the basic format will 
explain where I'm going with this. The average human breathe, uh, human being breathes 440 cubic feet of air in 24 hours. Five people, and, and we could go with arguably four people, because the first thing I'd do if the life support systems went out on the transutopian is slit Percy's throat. But okay, let's pretend like we're not going to do that. Five people would use, well, one person is using 18.3 cubic feet per hour per person. So ni- five people are using 91.6 cubic feet per hour per cube, which is 1,282.4 cubic feet of air in 14 hours, which is a 160-foot square room with a standard 8-foot ceiling or approximately a room of 13 by 13 feet. So there is enough air in a room 13 by 13 by 8 high for 5 people for 14 hours. I could be wrong, but I feel like the transutopian is a whole heck of a lot bigger than that. And it's okay. all filled with air. So yes. they, could, they could all go to different rooms, close the door, and yes, as, as the CO2 builds up in their room event and the air oxygen levels are go down, it, it wouldn't be, an, it's not like an even thing where once you've breathed the air, you're done. It's, it's going to be recycling it. But they certainly have got a lot more than 14 hours in that ship. A lot more than 14 hours. Yes. Uh, well, probably, well, I would guess, months. Yes. Now, they might freeze to death. So Callie's right in the first place. They may freeze to death. But I, 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 I love when they do that in a TV show and they go in and say, oh, we're going to run out of air. And it's like, I wonder if you gave that any thought. And I would love to know if there's a proper formula for working that out. How long can you live in a room 10 by 10 by 10? Boom. Because, you know, if it's sealed... Obviously, the CO2 will kill you long before you run out of oxygen, I believe. But, yeah, it's, it's, um, mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I just have, um, well, I, I, I agree that it's a crap episode and I can, we can shit on all you like, I'm fine. Um, <laughs> uh, but I do have, uh, a, uh, just a little few personnel matters here. Yeah. Um, a little correction. Farouk Dondi is Parsi, which okay. tells me the religion is Zoroastrianism. <laughs> okay. Really? Just one of the great ancient religions most um, has influenced the monotheistic world. Since one of the I, ancient religions anyway. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, anyhow, uh, it's, quite, it's quite influential beyond its size these days. Uh, it's basically, it has influenced uh, Judaism and, by extension, Christianity and Islam. Um, that's one point. Um, point number two is um, Deborah O'Dell. Mm-hmm. It plays Catherine here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Canadian actress and singer. Uh, she was a backup singer for Julio Iglesias. Okay. She has done. She has been active in on the stage, especially in, in, if, it, if it involves singing. Mm-hmm. Her credits on IMDb span from 1997 to 2013. And as I scroll through her listings, let's see what science fiction here. She was in two episodes of FX, the series. Okay. I vaguely remember that one. She was in 15 episodes of Erie, Indiana. Okay. 
She was in three episodes of Total Recall 2070. Okay. Uh, she was in something called Brats of the Lost Nebula. <laughs> that's okay. B. That's bad. That's it's all. Uh, Brats is all capital letters, each with a period behind it. Hmm. She was in, in one episode of Sci Factor, two episodes of Earth Final Conflict, two episodes of, Mut- of Mutant X. She was a, a Canadian character actress. Okay. Uh, you know something? I'm not going to bust on her. I mean, not, not from yeah. that. I mean, she just she played the part of exactly. a crazy computer, and yeah. she was fine. That was the part there. And in 2013, she left acting to study to become a psychotherapist. I, I'm glad to hear she did that after this, because if she'd been a psychotherapist and she'd taken this job, I feel like... Maybe they should be checking her credentials a little better. But okay. So I hope she's embarrassed by this now, uh, looking back on it. Probably is. It's all of the, all of the attitudes that, that helped perpetuate this. Yeah. I just, wow. I, I, you know, I know I look back at shows from, if you look back at like I Love Lucy or something, there's some just awfully terrible, terrible stuff there from the 50s. But I mean, you can look back at the 80s and I guess it's kind of hard for me to it's hard for me to distance 80s and 90s television in my mind from one another. So I guess it was I'm sure it's still rampant now. Don't get me wrong. It's, problems haven't been fixed, but to some degree they've been fixed and they, they've been bandaged. They've been worked on. But I, you know, I can still remember, I watched shows from the 70s definitely and absolutely cringe when they have, you know, lines like, oh, you can't do it. You're just a girl. It's just like, oh. <laughs> remember the episode, remember the early on in the original Battlestar Galactica when all the men oh, the Viper pilots, pilots laid out oh. so he people to bring in the women? Yeah, that was, Exactly. Exactly. And, There's and 70s there was a sim- cringe. There was, there was a similar plot point on chips. This is this is every yes, there was. This is every bit as bad, though, in its way. It's just it's just different. And and the funny thing is, is that I almost like I say, the position that Percy takes at the very beginning is is not it sounds like a man trying to put to get put forward a woman's position. Right. It, it, it doesn't it doesn't sound right. I almost think that at that moment they were like maybe trying to make a, a positive point instead of the negative ones that they just beat us with relentlessly afterwards. But even there, I mean, when they talk about the fact that there were no women on the design team for Caravaggio, that's just frankly unbelievable. I, I, I that here we are in the 24th century and this the the stereotype that all computer nerds are guys is still holding sway there you know i mean i'm sure caravaggio was probably not just well, how do i put this you know he's he's obviously not just the work of a team right they're building upon the work of literally centuries of computer design and programming and and ai and he has to be. He he can't be some revolutionary, nothing like this 
out-of-the-box kind of thing done by this plucky band of five guys who... He's, he's got to be the culmination of centuries of computer science, and that means centuries of women computer scientists, because there were women computer scientists in the 1990s. And before. Yeah, well, yeah, and before, but I just, as, as of the point this was written, you know, it, it wasn't, uh, there, there, you know, I won't deny it, there was absolutely a lot of bias in the industry towards women. Oh, they can't be programmers. I, I've absolutely heard that, experienced it in my career, and it, it it's, you know, <laughs> that's greatly improved also, not not fixed, but greatly improved. But maybe they would, it, it, this feels like, you know, this feels like they're projecting 1995 onto the year 2400, just like uh, not too terribly long ago, Simon and I looked it up can't remember which episode it is but it was a babylon 5 and one of the characters is called a vicar yeah because the vcr because it's from a vcr i'm thinking how quaint <laughs> here here we are watching it in 2021 and you know my kids have never seen a and one of them's an adult now has probably never seen a vcr in action right <laughs> uh, so it's it's just kind of funny when the writer projects that forward to, to centuries and more. So yeah, sure, we all know what a VCR is. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we all know that all teams of programmers are guys. It's always going to be like that. That's just the way it is. Wow. I, I don't know that I have anything else. I, I think Travis might have had a new shirt. Yeah, I've also noticed that um, you know, throughout this season, uh, what... That's very fairly redundant. That Travis is quite the babe magnet. Yes. Well, it's those, it's those rubbish leather pants that he wears. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> those, those are just like the dumbest fashion choice. <laughs> right. I guess it works for the girls, although it doesn't work for the girls because Travis almost never actually cares. No. You know, he has a job to do, and he's doing it. Job to do, and I'm not standing down for this pretty face that's uh, throwing herself at me. You know, up to and including. I, I, I get another episode where people are talking about Callie and Travis being a couple. Yes. No, they're not a couple. Yeah, <laughs> I think everybody everybody knows they're a couple except them. I think at this I point, I think you're right. <laughs> All right, I don't know that I have a thing I, else. I have was one more item and that is you say that the title of episode 16 of season two is rivals rivals Ooh, it's gonna be some rivalry in this in Probably. rivals yes hey you know something this episode the title uh, the title was uh actually relevant to the story yeah and sometimes they're not <laughs> it's true you know? This this one's pretty on the nose. This is about Kate. Kate. <laughs> All right, next time, Rivals. Kenneth, thank you for joining me. My pleasure. Listeners, I hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash fusion patrol or patreon.com slash fusion patrol. For our monthly Patreon subscribers, we're currently running a special series on Babylon 5. 
Come join the conversation in the comments section of this episode at FusionPatrol.com. You'll also find there over a decade of past episodes. You can find some of our other works at SoundCloud.com slash FusionPatrol. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. On the next episode of Fusion Patrol, we'll be looking at episode three of Crime Traveler Fashion Shoot, or Jeff Slade in the fashion shoot. When we discuss the big lie in fiction, the Oscar-winning music of Anne Dudley, the difference between train length in the UK and the US, and how foreknowledge might affect your behavior in a time paradox. We hope you come join the conversation on Fusion Patrol. Also, don't forget that between now and April 7th, 2023, over at soundcloud.com/fusionpatrol, we're running our special series on Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Check it out.